Hey, Dame. What's good? You know, I was curious. We've been home for a minute now recording remotely. And, you know, I just feel like I've had so much more time on my hands. I've been listening to more music, watching more shows, engaging with more podcasts. And I was curious, have you listened to any podcasts recently? Nope. Still no. I, I make this and I watch things and I love all you podcast listeners because you make this work possible. <laughs> but all you other podcasters, don't ask me. I have not heard your podcast. I'm really sorry. It is no hard feelings. I don't listen to my own. <laughs> if you were... If I were though, to a podcast. I know where I would go. Where would you go? I'm going to check out Overcast. Overcast is an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Yeah, I love independence. I love free things. This sounds like where I'm going to have to go uh, step into this game of podcast listening podcast for the people get it for free on the app store what's up we are live how you doing i'm doing good how you feeling i'm great i am grateful to to have you you here to be able to pick your mind and your brilliance to be able to talk about this budget for our people how you doing over there in your lime green Man, I'm feeling good, you know, like I was saying, it's a it's a slow day today uh, in the midst of a lot of chaos. Uh, so I'm uh, really milking the restful moments for sure. Shout out to any reprieve. Happy to be here, though. Happy to be yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the rest and reprieve. Um, and, and let's get to it. You know, we are, we are in the midst of Chicago's budget season. Um, and I even want to give like a little bit of a um, personal history in, t- in terms of like, you know, how I want to ground this conversation because in just getting on this live right now, I'm, I'm looking in my family history and in some places I'm three, some places I'm four generations South Side Chicago. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 20, 21 years old that like the city budget was even something I'd ever heard discussed as a like dynamic thing. It was just like static. It was never part of my purview until I started seeing young black activists, particularly from BYP 100, hold up signs saying 40% of Chicago city budget goes to the Chicago Police Department. And just like the math of that, what that meant just like shocked my whole existence reality. And it made so much of the violence make so much more sense in my city. So as a movement now for the past six, seven years, this has been like a go-to stat. 40% 40% of our budget goes to the Chicago Police Department. Um, and from that, I think that's a big part of how, where we are now in this defund moment, this defund CPD moment, where we have this historic level of attention and participation in our budget process. And I'm sure folks like me probably didn't grow up with a lot of knowledge of how this works. And you, Kennedy, are a policy expert. So do you want to kind of introduce yourself a little bit um, as we get to talking about, about this thing? Like, what is UWF and how did you get to, to have so much knowledge as some, the person I turn to whenever someone asks me a question about the budget? Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, and I, I, uh, I share in the uh, admiration, you know, for you, Damon. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here uh, talking with you. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Kennedy Bartley. Uh, I'm the legislative director for United Working Families. Uh, UWF is an independent political organization uh, that's really centered around um, lifting up and running uh, black and brown rank and file, working class, working poor uh, folks for elected office, essentially. 
that's kind of like our political and electoral arm. And then on the organizing side, you know, we we play a big role in just supporting coalitional spaces. Uh, you know, when when def- well, first of all, when ban was like first coming into formation, uh, we kind of dropped everything and it, it ban as a formation, I think, moved us further to the left uh, and and grounded us in like abolition, essentially. Um so that's an example of how we like just kind of join these coalitional spaces and attempt to support them as best we can. Uh, luckily, like within the defund space and like with me joining the steering committee, able to like add that policy expertise and whatnot, as, as y'all call it, policy expertise. And I kind of gas myself, but um, I'm gassing. I yeah, I appreciate the gas. I appreciate the gas. Um, and in terms of like how I arrived at this position I think it was just like a lot of trial and error for me uh you mentioned like it wasn't until you were like 2021 that you heard about the budget and you know like that's that's very intentional uh and they try to make the budget this like esoteric thing that only like technocrats and like the policy experts are like meant to engage with and I think uh in the in the face of things that are meant to be misunderstood that kind of makes me say like there's a reason that this isn't supposed to be accessible um so the first time i like really rolled up my sleeve in the budget and like really started to engage with it uh to the degree that i am currently was last last budget season um and i had just come on as legislative director for uwf uh like maybe two, three months before budget season started. So that's the best way you learn about the budget is like having to learn about the budget. (laughs) Um, So it was a lot of reading and a lot of writing of policy briefs. And um, yeah, now, now it's just something that we recognize is not an option uh, in terms of engaging. Like this is, this is a must, you know? Um, So yeah, that's, that's me. Well, I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, I'm proud of the story you told about, you know, UWF as as a a space that is looking at grassroots organizing, hearing that this movement moment is further radicalizing folks and that, you know, our power comes from the grassroots. So I think that is a testimony. And I also wanted to ground in some of your personal experience, because for the world to know, um, like we are young black people leading this campaign. um, And some of the things we have is just like energy in the streets. Some of it is this like philosophical analysis, but we also got niggas out here that like, you know what I'm saying? Like policy streets, you are holding it down. And so I think just some of, I'm using that word intentionally, like your expertise, one, as a counter example of what expertise looks like is really important, Uh, but also in terms of grounding the work of our our movement and our campaign. So shout out to that and let's get to it. Um, So for folks who, you know, may not be too interested in in, in budget work, um, I think it's really important before we get into the math, to name it as a as a document of priority um, and a way to to assess the moral priorities of a polity of a, of, a, of a municipality of, of a body um, and so this the the Chicago city budget um, addresses the priorities of our political establishment and political uh, oh yeah before we get into it please folks use that chat function comment in there we're seeing the ways we're seeing the loves if you have questions throw them in there we'll, we will get to them throughout the conversation we want this to be a participatory space uh okay. but but yes the city budget is a moral list of priorities for chicago's political establishment um and so before we get into the numbers can you just talk a little bit about the process of like how the budget is drafted 
And like, you know, I, I'm learning now that there's the season that kind of goes from like October to December. So what are some of like the base steps in terms of the beginning of budget season to when it finally um, gets I don't know, ratified, approved, passed? All of the above. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it is. It's a season. Um, so budget season starts around September, like you said. And uh, typically that's the mayor's initial budget address or uh, more accurately, like uh, the state of the city. Uh, so in that the mayor is kind of preempting the condition, usually the fiscal condition that the city is in, Um she hints at what the deficit is going to look like. Um, she hints at uh, ways in which we will um, fill that deficit or budget gap. Um, a deficit is essentially uh, you're owing more than you're making. You know, your expenses are higher than your revenue. Um, so that happens in September. Post-September, um, the mayor has a, a budget address where she will put out her budget proposal. Uh, so the budget proposal will have line items. It's itemized. You'll be able to go to a specific department and see uh, how much money that department is getting that year and where that money is going to. So if we, uh, for an example, we're going to the CPD budget, uh, we would go open up our, our budget books or like the budget proposals, which are accessible online. If you just type in Chicago budget 2021, um, and you would see, uh, like a line item for personnel or a line item for retroactive salaries or a line item for uniform allowance and so on and so forth for each city department. Um, following that budget address, uh, we get into budget hearings and the budget hearings are, uh, where each city department, uh, the, typically the heads of those city departments, uh, sit before the council, uh, typically the full city council, um, and they justify why they're getting the budget they're getting. Uh, they they illustrate the need that they may have. They answer rigorous questions about like, why do you need this money? Or where are uh, inefficiencies within your department and so on and so forth. Um, and those that, that budget hearing process is typically uh, two weeks. Following the budget hearing process, there are a few like regular city council meetings. And then... Um, the the mayor introduces her budget ordinance. That budget ordinance is, th there's a gap in the mayor putting out her budget propo proposal and her budget ordinance. And I, ostensibly it's because it should be informed, better informed uh, by the budget hearings, but oftentimes it looks a lot like the original proposal. Um, so she introduces the budget ordinance at which time aldermen are able to um, introduce amendments to that ordinance. Um, the amendments are then voted on. If the amendments make it in, the budget with the amendments are then voted on, is then voted on. Um, the budget date, uh, ha there is no budget date, but it has to happen before December 31st, heading into the next fiscal year. So just to recap, we get a, a proposal. And then mm -hmm. we get some time where there's like hearings around mm -hmm. some departments. Yeah. From there, there's an ordinance. And then after yep. that ordinance, there's an amendment. And then that gets voted on yes or no by New Year's Eve. Uh, yes. Yep. Ooh. Okay. So now, so now we got that. I see in the chat folks leaving comments, something we're going to put in the queue of things we're going to get to is where do the police bonds get into all that? I saw that's a great question. Please keep adding questions. We got a team keeping track of those. Shout out Defund CPD. 
uh, art and prop team. Um, and Jennifer. <laughs> Shout out Jennifer. Uh, um, okay, so that's really helpful of just like how the process goes flat. Uh, but one of the things that I think is really important to our movement nationally that may not get forefronted, but particularly here locally, um, is this push for participatory democracy. Um, and like language I'm trying to be more intentional about is like naming our state institutions, our governments as they are. Um, they, I think the word democracy gets hijacked. I think more accurately, it's a bureaucratic republic. We see these bureaucratic processes ran by these representatives. And I think what we're pushing for is more participatory democratic systems, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think there's a way, particularly in this year, um, we can frame the budget as being really anti-democratic. Uh, and so I wanna get you to get into some of what has been proposed and the ways that that's not aligning with community. But I think one of the things I just wanna uplift Chicago mayor's office beyond Lori Lightfoot before and after her, unless there's structural change, appoints 33 different heads of department, right? Those are 33 bureaus of government that are reported to one person. Um, and that's who they are primarily accountable to. One of those bureaus is this office of budget and administration. I forget the actual name of it, but the budget office where this- Yeah, budget management, yeah. Budget management office where this is proposed. So she appoints the people who then are directly uh, accountable to her. There is no other democratic participation in the initial drafting. Um, and so now let's get to 2020, right? Yep. We have defund CPD. We have this historic uprising, this historic movement. And then we see participation in this city document, the city survey about folks' priorities, about where they think the budget can go. And 87, well, first of all, five times more participated than last year, right? Yep. Which is showing something historic. And which is more than we've even gotten our, on our demands thus far, hit that pinned link, sign up and sign up those demands, defund CPD. Uh, but more people participated in that and 87% are in alignment with our platform, are naming that they want a divestment directly from the Chicago Police Department and investment into health services. That's what the people want. Lori does whatever she wants to do because she's the mayor and that's how Chicago works and we have a machine and a bunch of political lackeys. Now, where are we in terms of what she's proposing this year after this 87% of overwhelming support for defunding the police department? What did, what did she say? How is the budget looking? Yep. Um, so first, I want to contextualize this budget uh, and name it for what it is. It's an austerity budget. Um, and austerity is the product of neoliberalism. Um, it, austerity looks like spending cuts. Austerity looks like layoffs and furloughs and um, less spending to social services. And that's exactly what we're getting under Lightfoot's administration. It's what we got under Rahm's administration. It's what we got under Daly's administration and so on and so forth. Um, and, and much like you laid out, uh, Dame, this austerity budget does nothing to speak to the overwhelming support um, for, for this uh, demand to defund the police and reinvest in communities and social services. So, um, Let's talk about the CPD budget first. Uh, if you look at the budget um, and you look at the budget line item, the total budget line item for CPD, you would say that CPD was defunded nearly $80 million this year, or specifically $79,231,916. Okay, no, that's some money. That's some, that's some money. So it's yeah. like, okay, we won, kind of, maybe, okay. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um. But then, uh, you know, we, we think about, so where are we on this spectrum of 
CPD taking up 40% of the corporate fund, you know, because like surely if they've been defunded by $80 million, they're not taking up 40% of the corporate fund still. But if you look at the corporate fund, which is really the city's only flexible fund where they can move money around and there's a greater latitude to uh, um, what can be reduced or added to, et cetera, et cetera. The rest of the funds are kind of um, based on revenue and taxes and all of that money is kind of set in stone. So the corporate fund. Um, very CPD, appropriately named, by the way. <laughs> very appropriately named, the corporate there's some, fund. There's some Orwellian stuff happening. Very there. Orwellian. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, everything's by design, uh, <laughs> as I, I'm coming to learn or relearn. Um, so, you know, last year, the, the CPD took up 37% of the corporate fund. But last year, they had $80 million more budgeted to their department. This year, they have $80 million less budgeted, but they're taking up 39% of the corporate fund. So that tells the story. And the story that that tells is even though CPD was defunded, every other department was defunded by a greater proportion than CPD. So they're so still taking up proportionally. If, so that, if we're talking about this moral document and this list of priorities, Right. Actually, in this time of historic uprising against spending into municipal militarism and policing, yes. there has been a proportional increase. Proportional increase. Into the Chicago Police Department. Facts. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're closer to that 40% number than we were last year. Um, in the in the midst of of eighty seven percent of Chicagoans, that's over thirty thousand Chicagoans screaming they want to divest or defund from the CPD. They're making up more of the corporate fund. Um, so let's talk about that eighty million dollar de decrease and where that's coming from. Uh, so ninety percent of CPD's budget is personnel. Uh, there was a thirty million dollar reduction in personnel. And the way that that happened was not police officers being laid off or fired like the rest of the city workers will be, 350 city workers in particular. That $30 million personnel reduction was from vacancies. Mm. So there are 847 vacancies within the Chicago Police Department. The mayor chose to eliminate only 614 of those vacancies, leaving well over 200 vacancies in the CPD. So not only is she not um, refusing to lay off or fire police officers. Um, she's leaving vacancies that can be filled by more police officers. Let's, um, even, let's even like, like pull out this notion of vacancy. I don't want to like even rush past that for yeah, folks yeah, yeah. who may have not been like super in the weeds of policy, but have over the years been hearing this demand to divest, divert resources, defund, shift away, abolitionists facing, we want less policing. What I didn't yep. realize until this cycle is in addition to the operating funds of having all of these soldiers on the street, they have basically millions of dollars of surplus to be able to hire more. So every year there is money put That's away, it's not even going to use. Um, and that yep. is where most of, or a significant part of this 80 million is coming from, is from, they have a surplus actually. Yep, yep. Yeah, okay. so it's it's just money sitting there. It's not it's not going to anybody's paycheck. It's it's just like we know that we are a hyper militarized city that loves the police, and so we're gonna make sure we have a little reserve fund for when we want to hire more of those militarized police officers. Um, so yeah, and I, I appreciate you 
you know, pausing us so that we could like really, really uh, illuminate that. Um, so, and then the, the other thing about the CPD budget is like, you see that the police is making nearly $1.8 billion annually, which is outrageous in and of itself. But then when you really... Or let's, I, even, like, let's even parse that out. Their budget from the corporate fund is $1.8 billion. That's what, I'm getting at. that's what I'm getting at. So, <laughs> so they're making $1.8 billion in the corporate fund, right? But then when you like open up your budget book and you're like, let me sift through this, you start seeing things like the Department of uh, AIS giving CPD $18 million in addition to that $1.8 billion a year. Or you see uh, CPS, Chicago Public Schools, giving the CPD $12 million for them to lock black and brown kids up. Or you see the CTA giving um, CPD $10 million. So CPD is not just getting money from the corporate fund. They're getting money from every which way, you know? And so... It sounds like some real, like, like mob shit. Like, this is a thing that I... Type shit. Like, bring it up, like, like the... Like basically, all of these other departments are paying for protection. And they basically have this like this like tax um, that is not going to their primary use or their pro- so the park districts, the libraries, the schools, right? Like all of these different departments, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, CTA. Right. So the city's not just sending these people there; they're getting taxed to be protected in this carceral logic. Facts protected, right? Huh. Right. Okay. All right. So um, it's a it's a shell game, you know, and and when you when you really sift through the numbers like that, that one point eight billion dollars, like, you know, we we would be in a better position if it was just one point eight billion dollars, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's wild. Uh, And then, you know, just to move past the CPD budget for a second, because this is a narrative, you know, like the 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 budget is a moral document and it's a it's a narrative of the city's priorities. Um, so as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, those city employees, uh, in the public sector is largely made up of black women, 350 city jobs are going to be late. Like city employees will be laid off after March. Um, and how many of those are police officers? Zero. Okay. All right. Right. So 350 city workers, none of which are police officers will be laid off from their jobs, jobs that provide health care in the midst of a pandemic, right? So um, in addition to that, uh, the mayor is increasing the property tax levy by nearly $94 million, $93.9 million to be exact. So $94 million increase the property tax levy. And that's only the increase from the city budget. The property tax levy, when you include how much CPS's property tax levy is going to go up and the parks property tax levy is going to go up, it'll be an increase of $112 million to the property tax levy. Property taxes aren't inherently regressive. We need taxes. However, those property taxes are levied under an unjust and an unjust and racist tax taxing structure so that's going to disproportionately affect black brown working class and working poor folks um so it's another budget um that that protects wealthy corporations while institute instituting regressive taxes regressive fines uh and levies no new taxes on multi-billion corporations and mega developers 
Uh, the last thing that I want to lift up, actually, I'm not going to shortchange this. I'm going to lift up a few more things. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about the, the mayor's office. So this yeah. is just a fun fact that like, I think should also be like a talking point of ours that just rolls off the tongue. The mayor has 13 press aides, 13 press aides. So like, so all that goofy, all the Halloween, Halloween costume, all that means West Side Cowboy, all of yes. these tactics, all of these Donald Trump little spits. This is not just happening. She's not this charismatic, strategic person. 13 yes. salaries sounds close to like millions of dollars to, to, have, to have this media presence always being yes. amplified in this way. Yes. So she has 13 press aides and is still this goofy. Which is, <laughs> which yeah, is so that, that means <laughs> thirteen people saw her in that costume and said, "Yeah, go out yeah, like that." This is what we which is crazy. <laughs> 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 but <laughs> let me stop playing. No, um, hashtag Lori is a goofy. That, no, that, Lori is a goofy. Lies, Put that in the chat. That, that's Put that in the chat. Hashtag Lori is a goofy. That's one of the the pushes from below. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and, and, and earlier I mentioned those budget hearings, right? The mm-hmm. mayor's office is the only office not subject to a budget hearing. It's the mm-hmm. only office in the city of Chicago that doesn't have to justify why they're getting the amount of money that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of, of uh, you know, mayoral offices and aldermanic offices, Aldermen are aldermanic uh, budgets are being cut by twenty five thousand dollars, right? Twenty five thousand dollars cut from aldermanic offices, and those aren't cuts that aldermen are feeling. That means they have to lay off a staff member while being able to accept a three thousand dollars salary increase. So every alderman, all fifty aldermen this year, can receive a three thousand dollars salary increase if they choose to accept it whilst having to lay off their staff. Mind you, aldermen make well over six figures. Mm-hmm. So, like, that another just, like, wild. So that's 150 wild. going up to the alderman, and then 25 taken away from low-level staff folks, right? Like yep. somebody, you know, and so yep. these are the folks who are answering your calls about garbage and about the street lights and about the potholes down. Right, trying to get your licenses, trying to like uh, understand how to maneuver and navigate services. Those yep. are the folks that are getting cut. While aldermen can choose to get a raise if they yep. want. Okay. If they want. Yep. Okay. And so, uh, mm-hmm. one one more number I want to point out. Yeah, yeah. As in this, this is going to uh, I think segue us back into the defund conversation. Yeah. So if you look at the Department of Public Health. Yes. You will see an increase to the Department of Public Health's budget, an increase of $2.2 million. You would think that that $2.2 million is going to make good on Lori's promise of reopening some public mental health clinics. Mm -hmm. And that is not the case at all. That $2.2 million CDPH increase is going to a pilot program that the mayor is putting forth that is going to be a co-respondent program, meaning that the same officers that killed Laquan McDonald and Betty Jones and Quintonio Legrier are going to be sent with social workers to respond to mental health crises. So, so she, she is sending police off, armed police officers to respond to mental health crises, 
which is starkly different, a far cry from Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez's in the Collaborative for Community Wellness's initiative to divert calls from 911 to 211, and that would send a mental health professional, only a mental health professional, to deal with mental health crises. So it's called the Treatment Not Trauma Ordinance. It could also just be called the Common Sense Ordinance. <laughs> or that. You <laughs> should have professionals responding to what they are professionals at. Yeah, they went to school um, but, for it. So. But, but just, to, just to clarify what you're saying, so in this time where everywhere in the world and in the country, there is this demand for increased mental health services, particularly emergency response mental health services. The response to that is basically no. Yep. We're going to use $2.2 million of health resources to have another militarized police response, uh, which then obviously we understand power dynamics. The person with the gun makes the final decision in that dynamic um, and and can can always override. And so that is then outside of all the other departments that we're talking about, another way in which there's an investment in policing going into the Chicago Police Department from other parts of the budget, which is a thing for folks watching and folks supporting the campaign, something I want us to internalize um, in terms of our strategy, because defund CPD is the campaign. And a lot of that is for like language, right? Like that's a very stern, direct way to like make an umbrella for a lot of other claims and conversations. But I want to uplift our abolitionist godmother, Miriam Kaba here. And like, we need to be talking about policing at large on a social level, but particularly politically, right? Like there are ways in which resources go to the police department or go to policing that's not going through the CPD budget, right? That's not a part of this $1.8 billion number. And if we are not careful, there are ways always in which the state power, you know, counterinsurgency is always gonna try to co-op our messaging and our movements and our demands against us in a way to continue what their interests are. And so that's just something I want us to be be really careful on. And then there's something else that I would like to pull out that's not even like fully defined in terms Mm -hmm. of what happened this year, uh, but was really startling to me around that same dynamic of these ways that there's this like backdoor spending. is that there was, and you probably explain this better to me, there was this push to get more cops in the streets. And so what that answer was, was that every sworn officer was more or less taking off administrative duty to be a militarized force in the streets. And then, and therefore, I think it was also the, the Department of Public Health, some of their employees, or from another department, their employees as civilians would get paid to do the administrative work of the Chicago Police Department. So that's another way that it can look like a cut or look like spending that's not happening, but these are people getting paid to staff and operate police departments. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, you said it it right. Yeah, it's the Office of Public Safety Administration. Mm -hmm. So what they did was there were a bunch of cops just chilling on desk duty. And they said, you know, it's not enough cops out here beating up black and brown folks and, and killing folks having mental health crises. So let's put them on the streets. Let's take them off the desk and let's transfer those jobs to civilians. And it's it's not like we're again, we're not cutting the police budget by doing that. We're putting more police on the street and it's a shell game. You know, it's just a lot of like, let's move this money around until everybody gets dizzy, mm-hmm. essentially. And there's something else that I didn't mention, Damon, um, uh, while we're talking about shell games and moving money around and confusing folks, $32 million of that $80 million cut is a cut to retroactive salaries, right? So if you look at the, um, 
that budget book that I've been re- referencing, you'll see a line item that says uh, retroactive salaries. And every year prior, it was about $32 million. This year, it's blank. But CPD and the city are also in the midst of a contract negotiation impasse, meaning that they, they're at a stalemate. They're not getting anywhere right now. But when that contract negotiation comes to an end, we can very well see that $32 million renegotiated back into the police contract, meaning that they're not cut by $80 million. They're cut by whatever 80 million minus 32 million is. Somebody in the chat, do the math for me. But um, that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's still more numbers games, you know, in a shell game. And it, it it's, yeah. So what, what is, so what I understand when you explain this is that retroactive pay is something they got taken away but can be brought back at any point. Can, can you just explain what, that overtime, what, what is retroactive pay for like layman speak? Yeah, so uh, retroactive pay is, it's common, I guess, in, in uh, bargaining agreements, which are uh, agreements that unions uh, come to uh, for the worker. I don't want to call officers workers. Like, as you've beautifully framed for us, police officers are slave catchers, not workers. But in typical, you know, terms in bargaining agreements, uh, retroactive pay is essentially if a worker is uh, working without a renewed contract, they'll be working at the same rate that they were working uh, in their last contract. If the new contract is negotiated up, so their salary is increased in the new contract, that gap in between the last contract and the new contract, they'll pay them for how much they worked uh, by a proportion that's um, that matches the wage that that wage that they like negotiated for. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's what that's what the retroactive pay is. Cool, cool, cool. So we're a little bit like at like the halfway point. I've seen folks have been coming in and coming out. I just want to reintroduce. Welcome to this breaking down the budget conversation. I'm Damon. This is the brilliant Kennedy of the steering committee of Defund CPD and UWF. Uh, and we're here talking about this budget season that we're in right now, just to give a little bit of a recap. We've had a historic uprising in 2020 that has, you know, sp- spurred all of these amazing organizing efforts everywhere, including this defund CPD campaign here. One of the results with that was historic participation in a budget survey where 87% of the city supported what we've been saying this whole time uh, of we want to divest resources away. And what you've explained is actually there's going to be a proportional increase of our city budget to policing based off what the mayor's proposed. So a real spit in the face. So we've gone from 37% to 39%. Um, 350 city workers, non-police workers, air quote workers, are gonna get laid off. That's mostly black and brown women from our understanding. Uh, and, And this is like the reality that we're living in. And a language that you gave that was really important was that of austerity, right? And this being like, a neoliberal approach that has been going on nationally, has been going on in Chicago. And I, I want to go a little bit deeper into that. So I wanna, I'm going to do what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it playing liberals advocate, you know, like playing devil's advocate. Right, right. <laughs> so like the, the, the logic that gets put out, like basically on the news is, well, it's like a house. Like, you know, you're, you're in debt. You, you're, you have a deficit. You're not making as much as you get. You got to cut back. You got to tighten your belt. You got to balance your checkbook, right? Like, of course, if there is a deficit, there has to be cuts. 
there has to be these, you know, different types of, like you, we call it regressive revenue because we're in a jam, right? Like that's what we have to do. Um, so explain to me if we are in this deficit, why is that, why would we even be, why shouldn't we expect austerity? Shouldn't they be cutting all of these departments if there is a, a budget gap? And if not, then what should we be doing? Facts. Also, I, I like your liberals advocate voice. The <laughs> so, well, yeah, well, you, know, hey, you hit that. Like yeah. I figured out, but I don't. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, in in short, and I'm going to say in long too, but in short, this budget, it they balance the budget on the backs of the working class. Period. If we're talking about cuts, make a cut to Amazon that has received $741 million in tax incentives from the state of Illinois, like in multiple municipalities throughout Illinois. If we want to talk about cuts, make Ken Griffin pay his fair share. Institute a corporate head tax that says if you have... Ken Griffin is a a mega everything. One of the (laughs) richest, a billionaire, one of the richest men in Illinois, someone that the mayor loves to thank on a numerous occasion for his philanthropy and his investments in the city. He's also the same man that has spent more than he would have to pay in taxes under a fair tax to stop a fair tax. So (laughs) Ken Griffin is a whole devil, a whole demon. Um, And he's advocating for the devil. (laughs) He is advocating for the devil. Um, I didn't know you could get worse than a liberal advocate, but Ken Griffin did it. Um, so yeah, institute a corporate head tax. Say if if you are a corporation with more than 500 employees, you have to pay at least $4 a head for each of those employees. Boom, it's $4 and you are a multi-billion dollar corporation. Or in- institute a vacancy fee or a vacancy tax that says if you are a m- mega developer, and you are using the tax loophole that you receive, there's a tax incentive for having a vacant property, right? Like if you have a property, residential or commercial, that's sitting vacant, you pay less in taxes. So in the, in the midst of a housing crisis, there are mega developers that are being incentivized to not rent those properties. Make them pay money. Institute a pilot. U of C with their their racist ass policing and everything gentrification and everything else or the Obama presidential center, all these uh, tax exempt nonprofits make them pay a payment in lieu of taxes. They don't pay property taxes, make Mm. them pay an annual lump sum of money. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Institute a higher TIF surplus. I don't advocate for TIFs because, again, that's another uh, system or structure that milks money away from poor communities but if as long Let's as we break down how, how, how what they are so tax incremental funding right yeah uh financing, financing. yep tax incremental financing so a tip says um say your property taxes damon uh are ten dollars right and then uh your block or your area is made into a tax incremental financing district or a tip district and uh, your property taxes in uh, 2010 were $10, and then they institute the TIF district. So 2011, uh, property taxes have been raised by $5. You're paying $15 now in property taxes. Those $10 that you were already paying, they go to support the schools. Mind you, property taxes is the net number one funder of public schools. So that $10 goes to fund the schools and the parks and this and that. But that $5 increase goes into this TIF fund. 
And TIF funds ostensibly are for blighted communities and they're supposed to be, it's supposed to be a, a, a sum of money that funds development that's supposed to uh, lift a community up. TIF funds in Chicago are effectively slush funds for the mayor. It's the way the mayor says, I want a pretty development downtown. Let me pull money that should be going to schools and should be going to parks and should be going to libraries. And let me put that into a pretty building that Ken Griffin probably wanted, you know? So, um, and so what a TIF surplus is, is it, it's at the end of the year. Um, and we, we have a record number. We have a record dollar amount of TIFs right now. And a TIF surplus says it's the end of the year. This is the amount of money that we haven't used towards a project so we can surplus that money, meaning that we can distribute that money by proportion to each taxing coffer that would typically get property tax money. Um, so institute a surplus the most amount that you can in TIFs. You know what I'm saying? Like make Make it so that people who should have been getting the, the revenue from property taxes get that money. Our schools need that money on the south and west side. They shut schools down like they shut down mental health clinics. Don't shut them down. Just give and them TIF money. Literally use the money for schools to build stadiums or signs or, you know, fancy like business districts. Yep. All of those cranes in the sky we've seen over the last decade downtown and the skyline was and largely related to this TIF dynamic, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Most of the, most of the, the, uh, most of the development we see, especially downtown in the central business district, um, is funded by TIF dollars or like when Amazon was going to come, we were luring them in with tax incentives and TIF subs and TIF dollars to tell them to build here, you know? And I just want to connect this back to defund, right? Because it may feel like we're getting in the weeds, but this is actually really important because this is a level of extraction. This is the type of structural violence that we talk about that usually people just like use as a metaphor. This is an example of it, right? These are resources that should be going to the south and west side and they're literally getting pulled up and like they drive down 90, 94, 290 and like all converge into the loop, into downtown, into the financial district. And then we look at, the South and West side that looked the same since 1960 and 1970. And we look at downtown and it looks like the Jetsons. Um, yep. And then there is violence from that inequity, right? There is, yep. there is scarcity, there is lack, there is conflict, there is trauma, there's a lack of education, a lack of development, maldevelopment, malnutrition, right? Because these are institutions that should be taking care of people. And those are getting, those resources are getting taken into building buildings, basically. for, for yep. Um, and so that's really important to then why we have an investment in policing in the first place, right? Like that mm -hmm. trauma, that scarcity, that taking then creates the we pay police to respond to. Uh, and so I think that's, that's really important. So in getting into these weeds, I want to, something I saw earlier, um, about the bonds. I want to talk a little bit about how Chicago gets in debt. And I think this is a good way also to compare education and policing, um, because both, yeah basically function or subsidize a lot of their operations from these bonds. And I've been taught or understood them in a way that like, these are basically corrupt agreements between people who used to work in the financial industry, who then come into government and basically use government as a way to enrich in the financial industry. So they, they, they go into bond agreements yep. or into debt agreements that they wouldn't do if they were working at a company or they wouldn't do with their personal assets um, that then bankrupt our city almost intentionally so that we're always in this debt. 
um, to, to the banks, to Jamie Dimon, to the Ken Griffins of the world. Um, and, and, and so it, one that I'm just want to make sure that that sounds true, because I think that connects some of the ways in which CPS was funded to something I saw in the comments of the police settlement bonds, which are not coming from the police budget, right? And are mm -hmm. coming from, I'm not sure which fund, but it's not usually coming directly from revenue. It's being- Debt services. So explain, explain that for folks a little bit more better than I did. Yeah, so I think, uh, so Acre, the uh, Action Center on Race and the Economy did a, a beautiful job as framing these bonds as police brutality bonds. Like people on Wall Street and people damn near- There's a market for them. If there's a market for, for it. That means that yeah. this is somebody's job, this is professionalized. Absolutely. Every every time the police shoot and kill a, a black or brown body and they have to pay the family, as they should, have to pay the family of that person that we've lost, somebody on Wall Street or LaSalle Street makes money off of that. So the way that bonds works is essentially you are... Um, you are issuing a bond, so you're receiving money up front that you are then promising to not only pay back, but um, pay back with interest. Also, Damon, somebody asked if you could rewind back real quick. I don't know if we were talking too fast, but I should probably not pay attention to the chat. Mm -hmm. I just want to. Yeah. OK, I'll just start over and say police brutality bonds. Basically, if somebody is shot and killed and the police uh, or the city uh, is going to pay a settlement to that person's family. Somebody on Wall Street or LaSalle Street right here in Chicago are making money off of those bonds. And the way that bonds work are is like you are receiving money for a essentially a piece of paper. You are receiving money up front with the promise um, <laughs> with the promise that um, you are going to pay that money back with interest. Um, and that's all coming out of debt services. Um, so our, if you look at our debt services, it, it, it's truly crazy. Like the amount that we pay to uh, bondholders, the amount that we pay to financiers for transaction fees and all of this, like just like the, the, the financial system as a whole is just so predatory. And it's they're literally making money off of our bodies. Um, and, and to the point about um, the police settlements, Damon, uh, there was there's always been a lot of outcry about the fact that not only are police shooting and killing us, they're not having to pay for it. Like that money is not coming out of their budget. So last year, what the mayor did, Lori and her magic tricks, she said, okay, this money is going to come out of the police budget, but so that the money can come out of the police budget, I'm going to give them 86 million more dollars. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, y'all paying for it, but we paid you to pay for it. It's like when your mom give you money to get her a Christmas gift. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's, it's, it's more financial games and, and shell games and mixing money around. But at the end of the day, it's, it's buttressing up the Chicago police department. Yeah. So, so this is really like, in addition, and again, I think it's important that we center the harm, right? This is a human issue first. This is about abuse. This is about death, right? Like from 2010 to 2015, the Chicago Police Department killed more people than any other police department in America. Um, and this is while Lori is working in OPS and working, you know, at, at the Chicago, uh, uh, the board of police, right? So when she says a statement, after seeing 87% of people uh, want this divestment, to say something such as the police are not our enemy um, is really offensive. One, who are, you're not my mother, so you can't tell me who and who is not my enemy. 
Uh, but secondly, that's offensive to Dorothy Holmes and Martina Sutton and Arewa and all the people that have lost families. These are the families of Rakia Boyd and, and, and Pierre Lowry um, and, and Ronnie, Ronnie Man Johnson. Um, so one, yes, they are. Uh, but secondly, she said this other thing of like, these are sons and daughters and like they have jobs. But while at the same time saying that not one police officer, even though there's police officers working that have killed people, not one of them can go. They all have to have their jobs guaranteed. And 350 other city workers that we've identified will be mostly black and brown women have to be laid off when I will argue that probably none of them have at least killed anybody as a part of their job. Fingers um, crossed, yeah. I'm sure, we could, I'm sure we would hear that by now if there was like a murderous librarian somewhere. Um, and so just like, I just want to reiterate that point from like your perspective of expertise of like what that really means as a claim for folks who might just be hopping on of where we are in terms of the pushes that we're going to have to start making against city council or against this anti-democratic administration. Sure. Uh, so, so what are the pushes that we have to make? Yeah. I mean, um, outside of doing what we've been doing and being in the streets and mobilizing folks, uh, there, there's a, a, a legislative response to this, too, and that is uh, an amendment, a budget amendment. So earlier, for folks who are just joining, we talked about the budget process, and one of the last uh, pieces of that process is the mayor's introduction of her budget ordinance at which time aldermen are able to amend that ordinance, meaning that aldermen can um, go, to, go to the budget that'll be itemized, strike a line item and say, instead of that money going here, we want it to go here. So that is like the legislative route that we can take, budget amendments, um, and then ahead of that, you know, it's, it's our job to be uh, civically engaged, you know, we need to be calling and emailing our aldermen. You know what I'm saying? They, they, under this false democratic system, they are supposed to answer to us. Right. And so we, we have to be on their asses, honestly, like we have to be calling them and being like, I'm a part of that 87% that wanted to defund the police. So if you don't, if you vote for a budget that fails to do that, you know what I'm saying? You have to answer to me. Like we have to put our foot on their necks, like period. Um, so it's it's not enough to just say we have a budget amendment like you have to also be doing like galvanizing aldermen to vote for those budget amendments that reflect the will of the people. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing, just like understand our city is super gerrymandered. And so even where your ward is doesn't make any like communal or neighborhood based sense. Um, so first things first, you can do is just make sure you know who your city council representative is, who your alderwoman or alderman is, um, and like just get that on your head and see if you have other people, like can you build community? Can you begin to organize with other folks in your ward? You can also sign on to the demand defund CPD um, and you can from there start uh, join a training, which then gives you access to the committee where you can actually organize some of these ward uh, actions. So those are some ways to, to take action. Uh, I want to see if there are any questions because we got about, um, 10 minutes or so left. I see a couple right here. If I just press this button, um, is there is there an update on the Alderman CPD out of CPS ordinance, if we know? Um, and let's also like uh, blend in a little bit of, of, of uplifting the uh, treatment, not trauma ordinance as two of the like expressions of our defund demand. Yep. Um, so in terms of the Alderman CPD out of CPS ordinance, I'll just walk through the the 
uh, trajectory, I guess, that that was on. So that was introduced uh, by Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, um, and Alderman Rod Sawyer. Um, there's this parliamentary or this, this basically within city council, there is a maneuver typically uh, at the behest of the mayor that if, if there is an ordinance that is introduced and someone doesn't want it to have legs, they don't want it to move forth, somebody will call out rules as soon as that ordinance is called. So the CPD out of CPS ordinance was moved to rules, whereas typically, uh, where typically like things go to die. Um, because of the pressure that the people put on um, Michelle Harris, who was the uh, committee woman or the, the chairwoman of the rules committee. Uh, she had a hearing on that joint on that ordinance. And it was then um, sent out of the rules committee, uh, I believe, to the joint committee on education and public safety. Uh, there hasn't been much motion um, outside of that um, on the CPD out of CPS ordinance. And then I know that de facto Lori with her budget proposal was working to undercut the treatment, not trauma ordinance, which again is a really important effort. And I think a really important model and piece of legislation that we should all be supporting that would take police resources directly and put those into mental health emergency response systems. Uh, where, what are we looking like at that? How can we possibly support? Yep. So uh, in the face of, uh, a holistic and life-saving initiative put forth by CCW and Alderwoman uh, Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez that, like you said, Damon, would divert calls from 911 to a 211 line to ensure that mental health professionals were being sent to mental health crises. The mayor decided to put forth her own uh, initiative um, that says, we're going to send some social workers to deal with these mental health crises, but they're going to be sent with armed police officers. And we know, based on studies, that folks who are having mental health crises are 16 times more likely to be shot by a police officer. But Lori wants to send a police officer with these social workers. So the way that we can um, show some support is, again, reach out to your aldermen. Tell your alderman, I want you to be a co-sponsor of the Treatment Not Trauma Order put forth by Alderman Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez. Um, and and uh, beyond that, what you can do is reach out to Alderman Rod Sawyer and Alderwoman Pat Dowell and say, we want you all to have a joint committee hearing on the Treatment Not Trauma Order before the budget vote. Because again, at the behest of the mayor, both Rod Sawyer and Pat Dowell said, we'll have a hearing, a joint hearing, but we're going to do that after the budget vote, thereby ensuring that uh, Rosanna's order wouldn't be included in the budget. So ensuring that they are protecting the interest of the mayor. Facts. And, and, and importantly, more importantly, protecting police officers and ensuring that they are still uh, being used to address mental health crises. So definitely shout out, uh, shout out to GRC and in, in um, or GC, GC in the chat. Uh, shout out to the Coalition for Community Wellness, uh, pushing that work. That is something we definitely want to mobilize on. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling like um, the, the, you know, if you don't have any closings, it's, it's time to like really get folks who've been here uh, in this conversation to make sure we push this. If you're watching this, uh, make sure that you one 
our following defund CBD if you're not already. Uh, but secondly, please share this actual live. We're going to put this in an IGTV. Um, and therefore, if you put it in your story, it will reach more of your people. And that's the way that we move grassroots is through relationship, is through connection. Um, so as opposed to somebody just seeing it from a political page, people seeing this information from their people is going to go so much further. So please, 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 you are a part of this work. You are a leader as well. You can help us educate our city and our world. Um, Kenny, does it feel like there's anything we missed or anything we want to reemphasize for folks before we get out of here? Uh, the only thing I would say, Damon, is like, and this is not an original thought, but it's a necessary one to be put forth. The city of Chicago has more police officers per capita than any city in the United States of America. And if police made us safer, we would be the safest city in the world, period, or in the, in the country. And we're not. So that's that's it. Yeah, we got a little bit of time. I saw one more question real quick. Um, can you explain the difference between an order and an ordinance? That's a good question of an order and an ordinance oh yeah so a council order uh directs a department to do a thing so uh this this treatment not trauma order that we're talking about it said um we want the department of public health i believe the department uh the budget department and oemc uh to look at the feasibility of this initiative. We want to know how much it would cost to institute. We want to know the logistics around it, the infrastructure that needs to be built, et cetera. An ordinance is a piece of legislation that um, if, if passed would reflect the language within that legislation. So if you are more aware of the uh, parliamentary procedures at the state level, it's the same thing as a bill or at the federal level, it's the same thing as a bill. Um, an ordinance is just a, a piece of law that if passed would be instituted, whereas an order would then have to be followed up by an ordinance. Thank you again, Kennedy. Like I said, no, really you. expertise is appreciated. And what yeah. I want to just like kind of close with for folks is this is terrible, right? Like we just laid out some really heavy shit. It's easy to be depressed. Uh, but but I would I would encourage folks to not lean into despair. Um, I, I would encourage you to find, find strength and power in this struggle. Um, and even though it can maybe not look like it, we actually are winning. Um, this is not something, this exercise itself is an example. The fact that however many dozens of people are watching <laughs> conversation about a city budget on a Friday night, uh, uh, Friday night. out here living and surviving in this pandemic and still engaging in political action that this has been the most participatory season it has ever been in the budget. And every year there's been a push to increase the investment in policing, push to increase the amount of officers and staff. And we are seeing that that trend is actually declining since movement has started. Uh, we, we talked about this on a workshop on Wednesday. There's actually been a decline in police killings and, and deaths by the CPD. Um, and that's not something for them to celebrate or take credit for. Um, that is because we are creating a new condition. Um, and so more people will be living because of this work and because of this fight. So even though Lori is an obstacle right now, she's actually a great target for us to educate ourselves and move our people. Um, and so y'all are in this fight with us and we really appreciate you. Um, and we are doing something really historic. We are working to transform our city and our society towards a less violent reality where we have more healthy communities and healthier relationships. It's really very simple. Uh, and so thank you, Kennedy. Thank you, Defund CPD team, for all the work that you've been doing, all of our partner orgs and, and sponsoring orgs. Um, if you are with the organization, you can endorse this campaign. If you are a person, you can sign on to these demands and share these demands as widely as possible. 
Um, and I think that's all we got. Defund CPD. Um, rock with us. This, this, this is the movement. We're moving and we're moving with our people. All right. Peace, y'all. Thank Peace you, Damon. Out. Much love. Thank you, Kennedy. All right.